welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Nathan Ganane. And he and two other partners are the co-founders of Divergent Capital Partners, a private equity group which raises money through creating investment funds. So Nathan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Nathan. Nathan, let's start off by if you can share a little bit with about your background and how you got started with real estate. Yeah. So I um I bought my first piece of real estate when I was 19. It was a single family house. I bought it as a rental. It was $25,000. I raised the money to purchase it, um, rented it out. And after about a year, I um basically thought I needed more money. <laughs> so I started uh, looking into how to flip houses. So then I bought house to flip, bought another rental, bought two flips, kind of kept flipping houses and parking the cash into rentals. And then eventually, after a few years of that, I started buying like duplexes, quads, different things, and continued to flip houses, probably flipped like 100 houses and built up like 50 or 60 rental units. Doing that strategy evolved into finding a couple partners, teaming up and syndicating deals together. Um, That whole time, by the way, I was raising money to do a lot of that, at least on the flipping end. Like I said, I'd take my own cash purchase to rentals, but... Anyway, so fast forward, and then I um, found a couple people that I thought might be good fit. Like we all kind of found each other. We discussed operating as like a fund, essentially raising money on the front end, going out to find multiple deals and allowing our investors to partake in the equity and the cash flow and the tax benefits from those assets and the operation of them. And they both loved it. And obviously, we all got along and we launched Fund One, which was two years ago. We ended up raising $5.6 million. We purchased $18 million of apartment buildings in a one year. We're on fund two, which is $25 million of capital. We'll buy like 60 to $70 million of apartment buildings. Awesome. So why go to the fund structure to begin with? Well, so previously, all three of us on our own were buying our own deals. And basically, each one of us, you kind of invest in a slightly different, but we would find a deal And then we would turn around and put money of our own into it, but also raise money deal by deal. So I'd go find, um, say, an eight-unit apartment building, and we'd say, hey, we need uh, $200,000 and turn to investors, pitch why it's a good deal, why they should invest, reach out. We were all doing this on our own too, but it basically just ended up seeming almost like a waste of time where the fund allows you on the front end, we can go talk to investors constantly, tell them our thesis, what we look for, why we look for it show them past assets and also assets as we purchase, they go in the fund, say, hey, these are already in the fund, look at them and bring people in. It it just sounded and seemed before we had the experience that we would save a lot of time um, versus like scrambling, like, hey, we need a million dollars in the next month. (laughs) We're now, now that we did the fund, fast forward, we're able to raise money on the front end. Generally, what we do is we raise enough money to do the current deal around plus what we think the amount is for the next deal. So we're always one or two deals ahead on the raise. So when we get a deal, we already have the capital. So there's no scrambling. In the background, we're always constantly raising money. So like I said, we're one deal ahead. So we put that deal under contract, the capital spoken for, and then we bring some more capital in. And that's like technically for the next deal. So it just, it makes you less frantic 
and you're always able to accept capital almost at any time. So if someone walked in my office tomorrow and said, hey, I, here's half a million bucks, I don't have to say, oh, wait till our next deal. I can say, okay, yep, we have the funds open, come in, bring, you know, put your money in, sign the PPM. Obviously a little more complicated than that, but that's how it works. Then we can take their capital and we park it. And as soon as the next deal comes in, their capital goes in and they have exposure to every asset inside that fund previously and after um, until the fund is closed. For investors who had previously been investing in single assets, why would they want to move toward a fund model? Like what would be the benefit for them? Yeah. So one, the benefit, anything they invested in the past, we, we've done pretty well, all of us on our own. We have good returns. We've treated our investors well. So obviously they want to continue to invest with us. So one, operators that they like, which would be the three of us, that's just kind of where like, hey, that's how we're doing it. But on top of that, the, the benefits, there are a bunch. Instead of like, say you gave me $100,000, before and you're in this 30 unit deal and you're kind of at that deal's mercy. Like, obviously we wouldn't buy a bad deal. We believe it would, will increase its cash flow, increase its value. There might be a refinance. We hold our property. So we usually refinance instead of selling, but instead of like being at the mercy of that one building's timeline, which sometimes there can be delays or different things, say fund one, we had seven different apartment buildings. So your hundred thousand now is across seven buildings, all very similar. There's value add. We increase the rents. Everything's very similar. We add equity. We're looking to refinance the property. Well, some will hit early, some will hit when we thought, and some will hit late. And you get like a nice smooth experience. Like, okay, give me a hundred thousand. We're refinancing our first property in that fund right now. Roughly, say eight percent of your capital went into that project. You're going to get eight percent of your capital back. And then when the next one refinances, whatever that capital is, it comes back. So you get nice smooth chunks, as well as getting a little more steady distributions. Because again, when you purchase an asset, usually it'll take at least a few quarters until we're comfortable enough to kick out cash distributions. Well, in the fund structure, depending when you come in, we might already own one asset. It might already be kicking off cash flow. You enter. It just everything about it ended up being a lot smoother. And a lot more benefits. Like I said, it's all said and done. And we look back, say, five, 10 years from now, the returns will either be the same, maybe slightly better. And then on top of that, it'll just be smoother. Like you're not waiting for like, oh, I need that refinance, that one property. Uh, like I said, you're just getting it back in different chunks. And then we have a lot of optionality. There might be one property we get a very large offer on and we say, okay, fine, we'll sell it. And then here's a big chunk of money to you. Kind of all comes on like law of averages, same thing across eight deals. You have a better chance that one's going to be a home run, right? Instead of just investing in one off one. So that's kind of why. And then on top of that, the fund structure has helped us get better deals more consistently. So when moving from a single asset to a fund, what types of infrastructure did you need to set in place to be able to maintain seven different properties all at one time? So again, on top of just switching that, we also entered this new partnership, which is the three of us. So basically, though, we implemented an investor platform. Big company, all they do is they're a platform for your investors. So you can do your distributions through it, calculate all kinds of stuff for returns, refinances, all that. So we implemented that, which before on an individual basis, we did not use because it didn't seem necessary. But now it was because our one fund has seven assets with 40 investors, everyone owns a different chunk. <laughs> so like, right, the distributions are a little more complicated. So it helps with that. There's a lot of automation on there. It also helps automate our touch points with our investors. We, um, on top of doing a quarterly distribution, which is, you know, the money, 
We give a quarterly report that we send through that platform. We also do touch points along the way. So anytime a property goes under contract, we send out like a basically like an email to all our investors, like here's the property, here's how many units, quick summary. So you feel like you know what your money's doing. And it really helps us communicate a lot better with everyone all at once. And it allows us to, instead of reaching out to 40 people individually, hit them all at once. The majority of them, that's perfect. There might be a few people who call us after, no problem, but it just it makes that a lot more timeliness of all that works out better for us. It's like less of a time suck. So for the fund, when you're putting together the estimates for the returns and you're raising for the current property or the project that you're working on right now, and then estimating one to two or a couple of properties on the line that you don't have currently under contract, yeah. how do you put together those projections? Like, yeah. What is that based on? So there are more things that were a big change. That was one of the largest changes. Obviously, not having a specific property under contract to go raise money for where you can have like, hey, here's the cash flow. Here's the unit count. There's more like abstractness to it. On both funds, we did enter the fund with a deal under contract. So we're able to speak on that and then essentially average out what we believe the rest of the deals were based on our criteria. Like one of our criteria we look for is once we purchase a property and stabilize it, we want it to kick off like 9 to 11% cash flow. There's a few other things like that. So basically then what I did and my partners, we modeled out what would it look like if we deployed $25 million into properties that reached these criteria and what would the cash flow look like? What would the appreciation look like? When could we potentially refinance some of these properties? Again, there is guesswork, give or take. I believe we'll be fairly accurate, right? Because if it doesn't meet the criteria, we're not going to purchase the asset. But yeah, that's the other thing. Some people like cold, hard facts and the fund structure. I can't give you that to a T because I can't give you an address. I can give you maybe one or two. Like Here's what we own. Here's the next one. But I can't give you the last five. So some of that is in an abstract world where I say, based on what we're looking for, here's the returns that you can expect. Here's the depreciation, which we came very close on our guesses there. So we do the best we can. But yeah, that is one of the biggest differences at least when you put talking to investors. So when you're putting together these estimates and you're looking at creating a fund, do you establish the value of the fund ahead of time? Or is it as you kind of go forward, you're able to increase the total value? Yeah, we do. We do establish a value. I'm not a lawyer, not a CPA. I'm assuming, again, not from my experience, that you probably can make a fund where you don't fully know how much money you're going to raise, but you have a range or something. We do. So on the first fund, we said we'd raise just around $5 million of equity. And again, on our projections we gave investors, we said that would probably equate to 14 to, to 18 or $19 million of property. But we said we'd raise around $5 million in equity. We ended up raising 5.6. It was just due to the breakdown of the properties we put under contract. For this new one, we said $25 million. Again, give or take a million dollars will be right around there. And it's in the PPM. It actually says $25 million fund. That's the share. So we did do that on the front end. And obviously that's just kind of like the deals you have in your pipeline, the things brokers have been giving you. You have to actually be able to like fill that up, right? We One, we need to be able to bring in 25 million. And then two, within a timely manner, we have to find the say $70 million of deals to deploy it into that match. So you have to pick something that your firm is comfortable with 
actually accepting that challenge and being able to fulfill it. You don't want to raise $100 million and you can't deploy half of it. (laughs) We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So going along that thread then, if you aren't able to close on the deal as originally anticipated, what happens to those funds? Would you mean if we raise not enough, like if we were only raised 10 million instead of 25 million? So or the, if we have no deals to deploy them into. Right. So if you set out to open up the fund for the five million dollars raise and you only got that one property and the other ones when you did your underwriting, it didn't pencil out, didn't meet your yeah. projections, what would happen in that situation? Got it. Um yeah, so great questions. <laughs> so on a fund level, as the fund operator and manager, you can tailor your PPM however you want. In this regard for us. We basically have like a window of time. And in that window of time, first off, we believe in 12 to 15 months, we'll have raised the whole 25 million. I believe it'll take somewhere between 12 and 18 months to deploy that 25 million. But say it takes 12 months to raise 25 million and the last of the money comes in a year from now, kind of hard to abstract, right? But if we'd already deployed 20 million and the last $5 million of our fund is sitting there and and I just got it yesterday, if in the next six to 12 months, we don't find a deal and we see nothing in the horizon that we don't think it's coming in, we would essentially pro rata give the 5 million back across all the investors, pro rata. So if you gave me 100,000 initially, and what's 5 million to 25 million, that's um, 20%, then we would give you 20% of your capital back along with everyone else, 20% of their capital back, your capital contribution would drop by that amount. Everything relatively would drop as well. That way, we're not holding your money forever. But again, if we see deals in sight and that fall in line with what we're doing, we would not give that money back. We would keep it to go deploy into that deal. But yes, basically, as operators, we have a slight discretion on like, hey, let's just give this $2 million or $3 million back that's not being used. Because again, we want our operation and our numbers to be as best as possible. So it's in our best interest as well. If we can't deploy it into a good asset to give it back. And conversely, I think you were kind of asking the second part of the question is if you had raised already the amount of funds you had set out to raise in the beginning, but the deal size had actually grown a little bit more than what you were anticipating and you need to raise some more money to be able to close, what would happen in that case? Yeah. So we can do two things. We can amend the PPM and increase it a little bit and then go raise it on our own. Uh, We also like in fund two, especially we're actually looking to do some joint ventures with some groups. So I'm making it up and say, you're like, Hey, I have a $20 million deal. I'd love to have you as a partner. You know, you guys bring some capital, bring some expertise, whatever. I can do that and I can do it vice versa, right? If the last deal would put us $3 million more than our raise and we don't feel like going to raise the last 3 million, we can go, we have a 
a handful of strategic partners we think are great operating partners, we can go to them and say, hey, we have this deal. Would you like to partner with us? And they say, oh, yeah. And basically, we would try to get them as close as possible. So we're right around our deployment, as long as it makes sense. Otherwise, we would just go amend the operating agreement, try to raise the last $3 million and purchase it. But in this specific fund, we actually do. We really like and appreciate the value that other operators can bring, like strategically in certain markets and certain types of assets, depending on the deal. So that would probably be our first choice. So for investors, once the fund is closed, I think earlier you said as deals start to close or if things get sold out, basically, or you do a refinance on each of the different properties, you'll return those cap that capital back to the investors at that time. So it's like an in increments instead of waiting all the way to the end when everything closes out and then getting a large chunk at the end. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's kind of our philosophy. We're actually, me and my two partners, we're the largest investor in our own fund. I can't say for sure in fund two, if that's going to be the case. In fund one, we had like over 20% of the capital was us. I'm super aligned, but back to your question. If um, like, say the fund fully starts tomorrow, everything's bought, all the money's raised. So technically we're never going to take another investor. Well, we do quarterly distribution. So you get that the whole, as long as those are getting pushed out. So every quarter, and then when a refinance happens, say the first property gets refinanced and is a 10% allocation, you give me a hundred thousand, here's 10,000 back. That would go back to you. We call it a capital transaction. So essentially your capital contribution would go from a hundred thousand down to 90, right? Cause that's what we base your preferred returns and different things on. But at the same time, you're still getting your quarterly distributions. Your ownership never changes. We don't dilute you out by, by giving you refinance events back. You're still in the deal, whatever cash flow that produces, you'll get the cash flow from. It might be obviously a little lower because the loan balance went up. But yes, as they happen, you'll get them back. You'll stay in the deal. We treat them as two different things. Quarterly distributions happen every quarter. That is just what we call like profit. Cash flow doesn't change your capital contribution. Refinances and sales would go down. We actually refinance and sales, we don't get to participate in until your whole hundred thousand went back to you. So say three refinances or three sales in, finally, like now, boom, your whole 100000 is back on a capital transaction level. So if that happened, you also would have more because you would have got distributions as well. So you're actually above 100000 Your ownership stays the same. At that point, then we can participate as general partners and get a split on profits for the rest of the sales, if that makes sense. So we tried to make it super aligned. So investors get quarterly distribution the whole time. And then until refinances and sales give them all their money back, we actually don't get any split on those sales or refinances. Got it. So for the fund and looking for the properties currently in today's market, has it been a challenge to find those properties that pencil out? And what are the markets that you guys are focusing in? Yeah. So it's always a challenge to find deals. So even um, for fund one, like finding deals. We had a, a lot of operators we know didn't find a deal in the whole last year and a half or two years because it is hard. We found seven deals that we bought that we penciled very well for us. We look pretty hard um, off market, but more than that, and most often we just build relationships with brokers. And generally we get opportunities that are like first look to us. So we do get to see things before other people, as long as the circumstance works for that owner, right? Then certain cases is what it works. But so anyway, it is harder. I believe in the next six months, it's going to be even harder than it was for the last year and a half, just due to how fast those interest rates rose and 
seller's expectation and dislocation in the market. I do foresee it being more difficult. So we do have a deal under contract now, but everything is definitely slower on a deal flow basis. All the brokers we talk to, it's picking up a bit from the last, say, four months, but it's slow. I believe the second half of the year, things will pick up a bit more because, again, if interest rates stay the same and there's less volatility, sellers have a, a more reasonable expectation that, hey, interest rates aren't going back down to 3%. I can't get my four cap or whatever I thought I could get. I have more reasonable expectations. So we are thinking in our heads the second half of this year will be better than the first but we still do find deals. We just search very hard. One of my partners, he's in charge of that. I help him with it, but he's very good at it. And he takes a lot of effort building relationships and searching all kinds of markets. And we did broaden our markets a little bit because we are anticipating a little less deal flow over the next six months. And can you share a couple of different markets that you like to focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So our largest market, and we're from Michigan, Metro Detroit. The bulk of our deals do come from Michigan in the Midwest. That's because a lot of our network is here. It's not as dynamic and high growth of a market as, say, like a Florida or a Texas. But for us, when we come in, we buying buildings that, say, we buy one for $5 million. We believe within 12 to 18 months, we can take that to a $7 million building. There's a lot of value to be had. So that's our largest market. But we are looking in a few others, just a, a little softer, but... I would call us Midwest focused. I mean, again, that's where the bulk of our network is. So Nathan, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. I um, I started young, so I was 19. I've never had a, a real job. I had a high school job. I worked at a car wash. My whole life, I never really wanted to work for anybody. So it's allowed me to do that, right? I work for myself, pretty much always have. And I get to wake up every day and just do what I love. <laughs> and it gives you a lot of like time freedom, and just enjoy what I do. So for me, this is very fun. So if I happen to spend an 80-hour week, it's fun to me. <laughs> and what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Yeah, it's a good question. So a lot of different things, but the biggest two would be partnering is a lot more powerful than I thought. So previously, I did everything on my own, basically. <laughs> so partnering has been able to like exponentially grow it's huge being able to have complementary skill sets. So things I hate to do, so my partners like to do and vice versa. So it helps growth a lot. And then the la the second thing, which kind of always here, but I thought it was like cliche and wasn't real, is pretty much in every scenario, whatever you want, instead of like asking for it, just provide that person with value. And over time, you'll get you'll get it back. So a lot more powerful there too. Um, we do that in every aspect of our business now. I have to ask also, where is the best place that you found has been the most successful in networking and finding your own partners? Yeah. So current partners, I found one. I found at like a meetup in my local area. He's a little younger than me. The other partner I knew basically through the same circle, but the first partner I met knew him really well. Same thing. He networked with him. He, I think he actually cold called his apartment building. <laughs> and the guy told them no. And then over the course of like three, four years, they built a relationship. And then the first person circled me back in with my second partner. And um, it's been great. But even beyond the people like that, that I'm partnered with, there's other people I've met through like real estate meetups and different things. The last year or two, I have not been to any, maybe one or two. But when I was younger, I went to a lot. I recommend it. I'm, I still probably should. We've just been very busy. 
but yeah, increasing your network is huge. So that was always very big to me, but I never utilized my network how I should and how we do now, where where you actually can use them for like win-win situations and, and like benefit each other. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Yeah, I think the number one thing is seeing the big picture, having like a 10, 20 year horizon on your vision and uh, adding a ton of value to everyone you come into contact with. And by doing that, then your your vision and reality will eventually meet <laughs> is what we've come experienced, basically. So Nathan, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, we actually, we started putting out a lot of videos. So Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, uh, if you look up Divergent Capital, you'll find us on all three. We do like four or five videos a week. If you want, you can email us at hello at divergentfund.com, ask questions, whatever. Um, you know, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Any of those would be great. We, like I said, we put out a lot of content on what we're doing, deals under contract, when we refinance, sell, all kinds of different updates. Awesome. Nathan, thank you so much for all of your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.